0: So let's get down to business with another episode of Start a Puzzle, brought to you by FullScale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Start a Puzzle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation, I'm hoping helps your business grow. And we're going to talk about a whole lot of stuff today, mainly how to create a beefy sales funnel. Now, when I talk about beef and we say, where is the beef? The beef is at riverwatchbeef.com. And we got a lot of stuff to get into because the this is, today's guest has been on the show a number of times. Now, the last time he was on the show, I had just made it back from almost getting stuck in the Philippines. We had a whole world of things in front of us to figure out. We talked about supply chains and all different kinds of stuff. Now, before I introduce who is sitting in with me today, I do want to let you know that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by FullScale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. With me today is a third time guest. And one of my favorites, he brings me beef jerky. He brings me steaks. He brings me all kinds of yummy stuff. But last time we talked, he was running out of that. So I want to hear all about that plus more. Well, first off, Chris Kovac from Riverwatch Beef. Welcome back.
1: Hey, Matt. Good to see you. I appreciate the opportunity to be on the third time. And uh, as you mentioned, a lot's changed since the last time we talked, which is almost a year ago. And Happy to jump into it and hopefully share some some insights that will be helpful for some folks.
0: Yeah, and I appreciate that. And we want to talk about the sales funnel that you've created with the company. Which last time I talked to you was more more than text. So uh, you know, as I mentioned the last time, Chris was and Chris has been on the show. I, I love these follow up episodes because keeping up with the stories of how people are handling adversity and dealing with everything. So once again, last time we did an episode, it was almost a year ago and it was just after COVID had hit, your business had been slammed with orders. Uh, Let's go ahead and let's get a quick update.
1: Well, yeah, the um, the proverbial hockey stick growth, and so <clears throat> the last time we talked, as you mentioned, COVID was just starting. We hadn't been on lockdown yet, but there had been some rumors that that was going to happen both in Kansas City, our hometown, and certainly across the nation and across the world. And <clears throat> trying to figure out what that meant to our business, and and what it meant was there was a need for people to get quality food delivered to their house and to to back up a little bit and to expand on, on our business. So we're a family beef producer. We produce our own beef. We work with a USDA facility to package it, dry age it, and then uh, we actually deliver our beef to the end consumer Our product's a little bit different because it's natural, uh, raised in the pasture, and uh, most grass, most beef that you'll get in the grocery store is raised on corn and and, in feed yards and whatnot. So, you know, we've had a very niche product and we're vertically integrated. So we manage the entire supply chain from the animals in the field all the way to delivery to the customers. And we've had some, we've been growing uh, month over month, year over year. But when COVID happened, there was obviously a need for people to not venture outside of their homes and to have quality food delivered to their house. So kind of like everyone else, we were on day by day kind of seeing how things were going and the orders kept coming in, ding, ding, ding. And we're saying, oh, uh, how are we going to manage when we're getting Uh, 10 times the amount of orders per day and in a couple days we had as many as one month full of orders so on the one hand it's good to have that kind of growth on the other hand very challenging to make sure that we deliver the product consistently and the quality is is, is, as top quality as possible so what happened in march was we were off and, and growing in april and may and june uh, we we couldn't keep up and we ended up selling out of our product um, and trying to figure out how to uh, produce more beef, meaning uh, raise more animals and work with the processor. The number one challenge for us is uh, when the big beef producers and slaughterhouses started to get COVID-related issues, they shut down and that trickled down. In other words, there was no place to take our animals to go get processed. So, Trying to um, uh, uh, help the customer understand why things were a little bit slow, and actually UPS quit, while the rest of the shipping companies as well quit promising or guaranteeing delivery. So there were some areas where we could deliver, and uh, so it was in real time trying to make adjustments, and <clears throat> very very surprising. And so from there, uh, how are we how are we getting ahead of the curve for 2021, we see additional uh, challenges in the supply chain. And so that's what we're kind of getting into this year. How can we maintain growth without breaking our, our startup or our small business?
0: Yeah. And you know, so much of that, when we have talked in the past, and it's been kind of one year, then the next year, and now the third year. So I feel like I've I've got to follow the story of the evolution of your company. The first time we had you on, no one even knew the word COVID or coronavirus. The next time we talked, I mean not only did you have uh, well your 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 sales funnel it was predictable. Meaning you knew like it was coming in and now and then all of a sudden it got beefy. Like we can say that and you know, so, you know, some of that was the evolution of a business. Now, Hey, look, for those of you listening, this dude hustles like Chris gets in and he'll, he'll he delivers your beef.
1: Yeah, I mean, he I does do.
0: what just like the rest of us. He does what he needs to do to get the job done. But sometimes, you know, like what, what did you last year you went, you didn't you, you were up like a thousand percent?
1: For yeah, year over year, we ended up about 600% up. And again, if we if we had more inventory, that number would have been higher. Uh, so yeah, knock on wood. Uh, who knew that you know the the pandemic would create opportunities for businesses like ours and GrubHub's and and DoorDash and others like that. And and it's unfortunate that some of the restaurants took a hit, but. Um, you know, I, th- I think we're all going to come back even stronger this year. And it also provided an opportunity for customers who hadn't bought food online or hadn't had food delivered to them, especially older folks. Um, they gave it a try. They liked it. And so we've got a torrent of repeat business after that, which, of course, is uh, we appreciate that, that we're delivering a, a good enough product where people are coming back and buying again.
0: So in, in regards to, to the quote sales funnel that everyone always talks about, and I remember at the time because I ordered some beef after the, and you delivered it, thank you, uh, after we had recorded the last episode. But at that point, your inventory had already been decimated. Um, it was sold out. It, so when it comes to the sales funnel and everything, how how did you learn to manage that And deal with that because the frustration and I wasn't saying I was frustration but it's hard enough to get people to come to your site to want to buy something but when you run out of different things and you have to point people in different directions and and maybe say hey try this instead or I think you were also kind of uh, haggling with the the concept of you have some people that are subscribers of sorts so how, how did you how did you create how did you beef up your sales funnel in a way that helped you see? Look, I'm a salesperson in the end. I always tell people that. I always you you if you don't have to be around me for too long to hear me say sell what you got.
1: That's so right. h-
0: how did you how did you what where did your adjustments come in and where did you make changes?
1: Lots of coffee or or even more coffee than normal, Uh, long days. So we have a very manual process right now. So when we have customer orders coming in, um, I put my customer service hat on and follow up and try to be as transparent as possible with people to say, okay, if there are delays, here's why, here's when we expect to have that issue resolved. And I would say almost without exception, our customers were very patient and understanding what was going on. Um, around that time, we also had some sick family members. And so we had to close the shop for a couple days here and there. So it was a trial by fire, I guess, as the expression goes. But we, we just tried to figure it out day by day. and um, And also when the shipping was restricted, that created challenges. We had to refund many orders and then the time that it took to follow up with people. So uh, we're trying to get uh, ahead of that this year. In other words, building a process so that we can bring in additional helpers. And I've got some folks that I used to work with in previous lives who are helping out so that we can kind of streamline uh, giving customers updates. And so we were finally able to get caught up uh, uh, really last month, just you know, running behind all last year. So it's a challenge, and it's we're looking for ways to do some automation as well. So maybe there's an email alert that goes out for that loyalty part of the uh, sales funnel uh, to make sure that you know how did we do? Do we miss anything? Are there any issues with quality? So, and that also allowed us an opportunity to start at the beginning of the funnel, which was really creating awareness. Uh, with our brand, a lot of the people, whatever marketing tactics that we use, people say, "Well, didn't know you existed, and we're glad to know that there's a local company or or a family produce, or a family producer where you could buy your beef direct." The second part of that's the education. So as I was mentioning, uh, the way that we produce beef is different than you're going to find mm-hmm. in the grocery store. Uh, that all natural, no GMOs, uh, no no. Uh, uh, feedlots and those kinds of things. So in other words, really understanding what do customers want to know about from how we produce it. And one of the insights that we found was some of our highest performing content was about the families that help us raise our beef. So we can't do it alone. We've got friends and neighbors to help out. And people were really interested in that story and kind of following the story before they made the purchase and then certainly after we made the purchase as well and also doing some you know, when the customer was in the consideration phase, doing some apples to apples comparisons and understanding what our competitors are doing. I'm a big fan of signing up for their newsletters. And if you don't do that with your competitors, I would recommend doing that just to see, are they having any delays, which a lot of them were, are they having any issues with inventory and so on. And then having high touch, high service, once somebody places the order, almost being a beef concierge. So if people needed, some tips on how to cook the perfect steak or how to make a particular roast, we wanted to be there for them. So what that turned into was really a framework that we are um, upgrading this year and adding a few more steps in there. Uh, Additionally, the customer journey, Matt, that I'm sure a lot of folks talk with and really understanding what is the pathway to get a customer from maybe knowing about us to actually make that purchase and then wrapping marketing programs around that.
0: So we got a question from the from the live stream here. So I know you mentioned COVID affecting the st- supply chain. Has the market stabilized? And what do you think helped it stabilize besides making customers understand?
1: The, the supply chain has not stabilized. In fact, that there's more challenges there, um, not only from the production and capacity, but also the transportation companies, the trucking companies, um have become well to get to get beef shipped from one destination to another has become more expensive that there's some lags there so i would say there's actually uh that it's less stable now at the beginning of this year even than it was midway last year because you can't make up that capacity and so it's probably going to take two or three years to really overcome those challenges and i think you're going to see some price pressure at the grocery store and, and perhaps some shortages Um, And we're still trying to figure out how we stabilize it and do we build a new facility or do we uh, expand our model into a co-op? And so instead of being a single producer, uh, getting like-minded farms and ranches to kind of come into the fold. So it's very much a um, work in progress and I think with political things going on and COVID, I think you're gonna see we're gonna see a lot of uncertainty this year. That's a great question, which makes it hard for us to manage.
0: And by the way, speaking of beefy, they're lighting up the live the live questions on our live stream. Awesome. If you know if you want to if you want to watch us record episodes of Startup Hustle and you want to get involved and ask live chat questions, find us on Facebook because we stream it through the Startup Hustle Facebook page. We also stream it through our youtube page and which you'll find uh, find an enjoyment on our channel as we're about to finally launch startup hustle tv uh but you can ask questions and like this next one which i think is a great question do you use the futures market to hedge against price fluctuations and that's i think that's a great question when it comes to your sales funnel because if you sell everything well, you, kind of, you can short yourself out of business accidentally if you take too many orders with a beefy sales funnel and then you have to go figure out how to fill them later. Uh, well, first off, do you do that? And I also want to ask, did any of that come back to bite you last year? Because I know the prices went up. <clears throat>
1: The prices went up and then they went down. And so the challenge was family, well, any size producer had nowhere to take their animals. And so typically you would take it to what they would call an auction barn and they would auction off the animals. So the futures prices were actually lower or significantly lower than we expected that doesn't really play a role in our business model because we produce our own beef and and so we're creating the new calves and we're creating the new generations. Uh, But that's a a very difficult game. The commodities markets for beef have have had perhaps a 300% variance uh, since about eight years ago or so. And in the future, going back to that co-op model that we would find a happy medium in other words we would work with producers to create fair market value for their animals regardless of um, uh, whatever the commodities prices are but it can be as, as you mentioned tricky so if the prices went up and we got locked in and then all of a sudden they went down again there could be 20 or 30 or maybe 40 percent. Um, difference in that. And and that could take obviously a lot away from the bottom line. So, uh, we'll probably see more of the futures market next year. This year, we're still trying to kind of do incremental growth.
0: So, you know, and, and as mentioned, we're talking about a a beefy sales funnel and, you know, did you have to change or adjust your pricing based on the sudden, you know, like, did you have to raise prices last year or did you,
1: um, our prices were fairly consistent. We raised prices on a few things that were loss leaders that that, that we were selling for under the cost of production. So at least we wanted a, some break even points, especially on ground beef, because we had a lot of that, and the products will ebb and flow. So some people may want particular steaks like a ribeye or a strip. and you only get, you know, for an animal, you may get 10 pounds or 12 pounds of KC strip steaks. And so, yeah, we do have some pricing variations with primarily the steaks, but we've tried to keep our cost in line. Um, We didn't want the perception to be that with the shortages in the marketplace or the grocery store when it was $9 a pound for, you know, average ground beef, that we were trying to uh, profiteer off that. So trying to strike a balance with because, you know, we're customer service focused, our, our customers are, are, you know, we, we want to we give them the best deal that we can, um, and the profit side of the equation will work itself out.
0: I don't think anybody could fault you for trending with, you know, supply. I mean, pricing equilibrium changes and, you know, that's it happened at the grocery store. Like suddenly a jar of pickles is like seven bucks. Like right. I, li- I literally made my own. Well, my wife did. We made our own pickles. Just, and you know what we did, we had a jar of pickles and we cut up some cucumbers, we put it in the old pickle juice. And about a week later they tasted like pickles. That was 60 cents. So that was how I adjusted my, 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 uh, sales funnel when it came to pickles. But you know, there's, there's been some things along the way, like last time you were on the show, we'd had no idea, uh, what was going to happen. I remember you telling me you couldn't make beef jerky or you had to change your recipe because you couldn't get salt in from Italy. Right. And so, you know, that's I mean, that's just a sign of the times and what could occur.
1: And we also used our products with a lower price point, like the ground beef is not so much a loss leader, but an introduction because people don't want to necessarily pay whatever for an unknown product. And so we wanted to reduce the barrier to get people to try our beef. Uh, with the assumption that, you know, we would get a lot of repeat business and that that bet actually paid off. On the flip side of that, we have relationships with a sports team here in Kansas City and some other uh, retail partners. And so right around this time, we, I would say, tripled down on beef jerky because we had high demand. Well, the professional sports team that starts around the spring, uh, they they had a very shortened season. And uh, some of the hotel groups and retailers didn't have foot traffic anymore. So we actually overinvested on that part. And we had a little, we had some product loss there, which was disappointing. So it's been a challenge to try to balance and not get too ahead of ourselves. And I think we would rather not overextend ourselves, even if we have some shortages here and there and kind of letting people know why, instead of, no pun intended, betting the farm and then being stuck with too much inventory, you know, that's perishable.
0: I'll tell you what, man, the 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 hustlers on the live chat, are are uh, they have created a beefy sales funnel. And I sometimes ask these questions and sometimes don't, but I've been getting some good ones here. Uh, so how do you identify your target customer when selling a specialty product? I think that's a great sales funnel. Like where are you finding people to drop into the funnel? And then also, I, I'll add on to that. Did you even have to do any marketing since the last time we talked, because every, every time I look on Facebook, I see someone I know saying, I got my Riverwatch beef order in.
1: Um, yes, we actually had to shut off our marketing around April. And we were really more, it wasn't promotion-based marketing. It was storytelling and kind of letting people know what was happening. So uh, yes, our customer acquisition costs went down significantly, which is always a win. When we entered this um this opportunity uh, some people were saying and, and experts that i respect were saying the customer acquisition cost could be as high as 100 percent of the order value and i said well that's not going to work i mean that's not a viable business and the customer acquisition costs were very high and so kind of having that offset by repeat customers and having um, uh, lifetime customer value has offset those initial costs because it took a long time to figure out what that rubik's cube is And regarding our target customer, so as a niche business, our market is not everyone that loves beef. As a matter of fact, we have people that love corn-fed beef, and they actually troll us saying natural beef sucks and grass-fed beef sucks and so on, which I would take the challenge with them. But what we did was we put together uh, about three or four customer personas as a hypothesis and we we targeted those folks whatever marketing channel that we were using so one of them was people that used to get their beef from a family farmer maybe people in their 40s 50s 60s a little bit older who you know maybe they're maybe they sold the farm or something like that but they were uh folks that were in the older demographics and so that was one silo another one would be beef connoisseurs you know the the guys or the gals who Uh, you know, love to watch Top Chef and they love to make food for their friends and family and always looking for different um, ingredients and things that you can't find at the grocery store. So that was another persona that we built content around. And the other one was natural or or families that wanted natural products that didn't have hormones and antibiotics and things like that. And so what we did was we we did testing and used analytics and data to kind of point that into... Um, who was the best performing um, customer segments combined with their geographic areas. So Kansas may have a little bit different than Missouri preferences and then particular traits. And so what we found, which was surprising to us is women 55 plus was our, and still continues to be our best performing demographic. And, And so for us when we're not like Hallmark we don't have 300 different personas for all the products so we just put a stake in the ground somewhere and tested it um, some other thing i'm trying to think of where we where we didn't perform well uh, i think that would be more on the price comparison. so if we were if we were doing aggressive discounting that actually performed less than when we told our story so it's more about Kind of the why behind our beef as opposed to commoditizing it and just doing a, a you know price versus price and now we're doubling down on that and what we found is you know families or certain uh, personas are much more likely to refer business to us and so they're getting their family they're getting their friends as a matter of fact oftentimes i'll deliver two or three orders on the same block and they all know each other so uh, it was expensive to do some testing to figure that out. Um, who who actually did not, who underperformed was millennials, which was very surprising to me, people looking for that experience. But for whatever reason, we just didn't get the conversions there. And uh, we'll see how that trend continues this year.
0: Yeah, and that, that question came in from Justin Prestige, who yeah. has a custom trailer and food truck business. So. Uh, it's a quite a specialty product there as well. Um, also, the uh, that was also the episode that when we just recently recorded episode 500, Matt Watson admitted that he had too many lunchtime cocktails before we recorded. So, <laughs> a little insight from episode 500. And yeah, 500 of these things. Now, look, we we showed up to record this episode about beefy sales funnels, but everyone's doing my job for me. So. Got an, yet another great question from the live stream. I think this is a good one because this can, uh, shipping and delivery is a part of your sales funnel. And it's a part of the sales funnel that you often lose the buyer. Right. Like people come in, they're like, they, okay, I want to spend 20 bucks. And the next thing you know, it's 20 bucks to ship, which means it's right. really $40 to buy. So this comes from Kyle Steppy, who is one of the founders of Casey Hempco uh and they shifted to all online we did an episode with his wife heather uh shortly after COVID hit and you know this is likely something they're dealing with but how much trial and error did it take you to figure out shipping uh in a cost-effective way i think it's a great question
1: it is a great question um a lot of trial and error i would say a lot of error so when we started out and they really start shipping about (laughs) three and a half years ago You know, it was the Amazon model, right? Like everyone wants it tomorrow and they don't want to pay any shipping costs for that. So, you know, my idea was, okay, great. Let's do free shipping for club members. Uh, And we were shipping around the country in in relatively large size formats, not cheap. So we lost our butts. Um, We just, there was some shipping issues with spoilage or that it would get delayed or that it was going to... Uh, Nevada where it was hot and so very quickly um, we made the decision that's not a good we simply can't afford we can't compete with the free shipping model so what we've done is we've got flat fee and we we turned it into regions so within the central states it's a base price and then other states outside of that is a little bit more expensive so you know we have had some customers ask Why is your shipping? Why are you charging for shipping? And we're just transparent with them. And we say, look, you know, we actually subsidize some of the cost. It could be forty five dollars to ship to a coast. And that is just standard ground. On top of that, the shipping containers and the ice packs cost about ten bucks per. So again, we went to a flat rate. We we offset some of those costs, but we just say we're a small company. We're a small family company. And uh, we wish we could have discounted shipping rates, but almost, you know, people really haven't had a problem with that knock on wood, at least to date.
0: I think overall you hit on something earlier. You talked about telling your story and, you know, the, we, we hypothesized on this a little bit when you were on the show last time. And I've probably had this discussion with others since then, but you know, the, the, the inability to, sh- okay, so two years ago, I could take a package right now. I could have it in California in two days and it'd be like 12 bucks. It's probably like 40 now. And there's, you know, this the, you talk about things. Like, so during the holiday season, um, you had companies like FedEx and UPS saying, literally throttling major retailers for the amount of stuff that they could ship. Why? Because they have a, a capacity that they can deliver it with, too. They're also dealing with the, uh, the things that slow stuff down. Like we can't be in person. We can't be as close to each other. Uh, more people are facilities being closed, stuff like that. The expectation that shipping should be free uh, is not reasonable in, in many cases. I, I went to send a friend of mine uh, a couple copies of each of my books uh, the other day. It was 30 bucks. To send yeah. like a, an any, you know, whenever it gets there kind of delivery. And that was like still the cheapest option. And, you know, uh, th- that can have a big effect on perishable products, like you mentioned, and not to mention uh, just general customer satisfaction. Um, I want to give a quick example. And I, I have a question after that. So I I did some consulting work years ago for a sneaker resale company and ended up designing a whole bunch of stuff for them. Uh, if you're, if you're in the e-commerce business and you don't have a strong grasp on how much your shipping costs, like, are you making money? Or are you losing money? Or are you breaking even? So they were charging the same amount per shipment and it, there was something about that that didn't make sense to me. And they felt like they were making money on it. I actually took about ten, about an hour's worth of math, and calculations to realize that not only were they not making money, it was probably costing them about 80 grand a year. Ooh. So you had to, you know, putting that shipping choice back in the sales funnel, like, okay, how fast do you want it? Do you want it tomorrow? Cause if you want it tomorrow, it's going to be really freaking expensive. If you want it in two days, less, if you want it in three, maybe not so much, but you know, like overall, mm, I mean, there's, I, I think you gotta, you got to take that into consideration. Cause as you mentioned, that can be a dagger. And if you're, and especially if you've made pre-commitments, like if you're a subscription box or you're right. something, and now all of a sudden someone moves that cheese, you know, you could be in big, big, big trouble. Now you deliver, the question is, is you deliver most of your stuff locally. I mean, what percentage of it is local delivery compared to non? <laughs>
1: I'd say it's 80-20 local. Uh, That wasn't necessarily by design. Because we're a niche product, we, the question is, is is the Kansas City local market big enough to support growth and to scale and to prove the concept? And I thought that this market had opportunities, but I thought we had to compete nationally. And uh, because, from what I've heard is that it's difficult to get our quality of beef in places like Florida and Texas and California, which is shocking to me. Uh, Upstate New York is another one. So we wanted to, uh, part of the test, the proof of concept was, can we expand our shipping to the 48 lower states? Uh, Can we not lose our shirt on that? And is that sustainable? And so a couple things played a role Back in March, and it still hasn't changed, shipping companies won't guarantee delivery. Mm-hmm. So we had to make a judgment call, and I'm going to make a judgment call on every order. You know, are we able to ship to like today? We're shipping to Virginia, New Jersey, and, and several other states, Colorado. And we we reduced our shipping um availability. So I think now we're at about 16 states. And we may shrink that even further. So we started out small, then we expanded. And I think we're gonna to try to have the Goldilocks kind of the right size and perhaps find a distribution partner either out west or out east or both so that we can better service those markets. But with perishable products, we ship through cold packs. We can't use dry ice. A lot of people say, "Oh, well, you know I, I get this particular product that's in dry ice. Well, that's a hazardous material. we We don't have the facilities to deal with that quite yet. So it, it's been, and we've, like I said, had to refund dozens and dozens of folks uh, so that we're kind of working that out and, and what is realistic, where to ship. And that also, will become a smaller region in the summer because once it hits about 80 or 90 degrees, we just can't take the spoilage risk on, you know, 100 or $200 in product. Uh, and so some people will, will accept delays. Um, other people, you know, we're just transparent and they'll say, hey, just let me know whenever you're able to ship here and we'll place another order.
0: So we're talking about creating a, a beefy sales funnel Selling grass-fed beef and a whole lot of other stuff. I want to remind you before we continue this conversation that today's episode Start a Puzzle is brought to you by FullScale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. So coming right off of the FullScale read, um, what have you done to technologically improve your business since the last time we spoke?
1: Nothing, unfortunately. (laughs) You know, we, uh, th- there's only so much time in the day and, you know, customers are our number one priority. However, we, there have been some, let's say product developments from the technology. It could be some automation. It's certainly content, um, doing some backend search engine optimization work to make sure that we maintain our high search engine rankings as well as continue to grow those. So that's kind of been frustrating and you know, we've got a great web development, uh, web developer that I've known for a while and he's saying, Hey, when can we, when can we push these new updates? And so that's been disappointing to be frank because it's, it's like a car that needs a service, but you're so busy driving it around that you can never take it into the shop. Additionally, especially, well, really throughout all of last year, um, we didn't want to make an upgrade to the site and then have it break something in the past when we weren't doing that much volume, there'd be an update or there'd be a, a feature that we tried and it would break the e-commerce system and and I didn't know until a customer told me and said, your website's not working anymore. And I said, oh, good. Uh, obviously uh, not good. So now that We're kind of past that year. We're going to focus on making major uh, website revisions and just make it easier because, as I mentioned earlier, this is a manual process when you get an order. And if there's some customization to it, I actually email you and walk you through the process. So, and then really focusing on how to prepare beef uh, in a way that tastes good. So our beef, because it's lean and natural, almost cooks like wild salmon. And so My mom, uh, not to pick on her, but she tried to make a roast, and she tried to make it kind of uh, the way that she grew up, and it was overdone. And so that's, uh, and we're we're partnering up with local chefs here and some other uh, foodie type influencers to not only do family recipes that my grandma had, but also preparation tips, grilling tips, and all those kinds of things. So um the supply chain issues continue to kind of slow us down there but uh i've got a long list of things that we want to do and we're just going to do two or three at a time so that we're not getting ahead of ourselves
0: yeah you know that 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 actually opens the door to yet another great question from the live chat and you know asking do you only grow beef and by the way this same listeners down in Texas, where oh. they grow a lot of beef. And I know that I got an uncle that, that raises cattle down there. So, um, you know, but when you talk about growing and expanding, uh, do you only grow beef and says, I know there are people that specifically eat ruminant beef, or excuse me, ruminant meat, meaning lamb, elk, etc. And do you, have you considered diversifying? And might that be an option to further target niche in the future?
1: We've thought about that for us. Probably not. We want we want to stick with beef, and we want to make the beef the absolute best quality possible. Um, when you start talking about other proteins, entirely different production models, uh, especially with pork or chicken or elk or deer or anything like that, and it, it just it, it's it would be too complex and complicated for us to manage especially with storage, and that's just not my sweet spot. So, but what we would like to do is to partner up with other like-minded producers and share, uh, because we do get people that are asking for heritage pork or free-range chickens, to just have a short list of people that we could, um, uh, that we could refer to. And the other part of that is there's more local companies, Chateau Milk, here in the Kansas City area. They're wonderful. They're similar to us in that they're a family farm and they produce milk. But what they're doing now is almost like a Schwanz model to where you, you can add bacon or you can add beef or you could add Wagyu beef or grass-fed beef or whatever it is. So we would wanna partner up with uh, with other companies, especially on the delivery side. Um, but yeah, raising additional beef and One of the challenges, Matt, the last time we talked was uh, not really a challenge, a a difficult situation. My dad was diagnosed with a non-formable or non-curable form of cancer. And so we actually sold our uh, ranch in Colorado at the end of 2019. And when we were talking, we were trying to figure out, okay, well, what are we going to do? Are we going to source it from other people? And we ended up finding a smaller farm in Kansas running about 500 acres or so. So that was part of it, too. And, and he's not able to, you know, uh, to, you know, be out working in the field as much. And so we need to kind of pivot uh, into how can we get friends and family and neighbors to help us manage the beef when, when he's not able to do that. So very difficult time. And uh, he's doing well. Um, he's managing his, his illness well, but um, so right now it's just kind of me doing everything. And so going back to being very incremental, we've got visions for the future, but still just trying to produce darn good beef and, and then will the rest of it will work itself out.
0: It is darn good. I, I, I've eaten quite a bit of it over the last few years, so thank you for that, and thank you for the beef jerky as well. That's, I, I, I have a, I, if I could live off of just one thing, it honestly might be beef jerky. Um, so, you know, uh, yeah,
1: <laughs> I, I,
0: and I gotta, I gotta say, Chris, I respect the hustle too, man, because I see you darting all over town, making deliveries, doing what it takes, and. Uh, I, while that while a six uh, a six x uh, growth cycle is that, well, you clearly handled it, um,
1: trying our best. and and you know I we have a, another care package for you and the team that's gonna go out this week. And so going back to the funnel, always following up with customers because we have a uniform way of raising our animals, but every animal's a little bit different. And so talking to folks like you and other customers, how did this batch turn out? Um, You know, did it have the marbling or the taste or was it as tender as the other ones? And so always doing cross-check of where we're at from a quality standpoint. And our goal is is just every batch continue to be better, um, meaning the way that we're aging or the the pastures. uh, We may have alfalfa uh, a little bit more this time, which is a pasture grass. Uh, where we may have some barley and experiment with some other, not so much grains, um, but some other uh, elements to make the beef that much better. And, you know, grass-fed beef has been accused of being gamey in the past. And what we found out shifting from Colorado grasses to Kansas grasses is that the grasses out there had a much different flavor profile. And so it was almost like venison or elk. And the Kansas grass is... Well, there's more grass because there's more water, but it's nutritionally better. And it, it, there's not gamey, it's not tough. And so always asking, um, how did we do? How could we make it better? Some people may want steaks a little bit bigger, a little bit smaller and what have you. So lots of lots of high touch there.
0: Yeah. And you know what Chris is talking about, I mentioned I have ranchers in the family. So, and I do, my uncle Jim and my cousin, Tommy, uh, have multiple ranches in West Texas. And the last time I was there, you know, we're driving around and I was like, what is this stuff? And, you know, he's telling me it's some kind of Bavarian hops that, that, you know, like, I mean, literally growing fields of it because it, and it wasn't just for the cattle. It was also for the uh, deer, the elk and, um, I, uh, unbeknownst to me until, oh, I don't know, halfway through my life uh, West Texas has the largest deer and elk in the world. Um, mm-hmm. and, 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 and it has everything to do with what they eat. And, you know, like the, so that does have an effect. They say you are what you eat and same thing goes with cows. All right. So Chris, with, with growth and the sales funnel beefed up. How are you planning on keeping that sustainable as you go forward? Or are you going to regress back to where you were and be cool with that?
1: No, we, we've got to continue to stack the funnel. Uh, we we you know, With the perishable inventory, uh, we've got to be aggressive in, in maintaining that funnel, optimizing that funnel. And so what we're doing this year, which is an extension of last year, is doing Gary uh, Vanderchuk's Jab Jab Overhand Right strategy, which simply means I see a lot of, of companies always pushing sales or always pushing promotions. And for us it's about continuing to educate people on our story, which is which is personal. I mean we give a hoot. <laughs> For lack of a better term like we we really care about what we're doing and people want to know how we're changing it and even people are asking you know, how's your dad doing or how's your sister doing and things like that so we want to continue to tell our story we want to expand the channels that we're on facebook is actually so our successful channels have been search engine optimization uh from getting that first touch with prospects facebook because a lot of people i'm not a big fan of the facebook platform but There's a lot of food photos. I'm sure you've seen them. This is what I'm having for dinner. This is what I'm cooking. So you gotta go where your audiences are. So we're gonna double down on our Facebook strategy here uh going forward doing a lot of uh, more email communications more newsletters instead of you know x percent off this month or 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 featuring certain products so we want to keep the story going we actually want to include other folks within our story so i had a gentleman call me who is a rancher and they built a facility in in, in tennessee and so how can we help each other how can we spotlight other folks who are doing it the right way and I'll make this brief. The beef industry is broken and most cows, and I'm actually writing a blog post about this. Most cows are brought up on junk food once they once they get in, into the feed yard. So what happens is animals grow up in the pasture for a while, but once they hit the feed yard, they're fed food waste, they're fed um, the the grains from producing beer they're fed twinkies skittles all kinds of nasty stuff and as i was thinking about it i'm like well if an animal eats a bunch of junk food how nutritious is that animal going to be and the answer is not very plus you're going to have a lot more allergens come out of that so um we want to continue to educate people on know where your food comes from heck if you don't buy from us that's fine but but know who your food comes from talk to people talk to producers go to your family go to your um neighborhood farm to mark uh, farm farm to table markets and and you know ask and we're seeing a lot of customers they want to know are your is your beef grass finished are you using these grains are, are they penned up do you give them any antibiotic, antibiotic shots or hormones so i think that's great that people are getting more aware versus you know 15 mm-hmm. years ago a hamburger is a hamburger is a hamburger
0: once again with me today chris kovac the guy at Riverwatch beef go to riverwatchbeef.com buy a lot of stuff because it's good it's tasty yum there you go <laughs> so a couple of things uh, before we get into the founders freestyle there you go there's the beef jerky
1: Sham- shameless self-promotion
0: yeah uh, I'll promote it for you I love your beef jerky it's great and Chris brought brought several bags of it over the first time he's on the show and we uh, we did a little taste test analysis um, now you know I end my episodes at startup puzzle and I say my episodes because I'm not the only Host on Startup Hustle, Chris, you may or may not know that we added two more hosts to so make sure you check out episodes by Lauren Conway and Andrew Morgans. Andrew will talk all about e-commerce and all different kinds of stuff. And Lauren talks about whatever Lauren talks about. On top of all that, people, we started a TV show. Yeah, we did. Startup Hustle TV. It's coming out been working on it for a long time. It's the video version of the show. Our goal at Startup Hustle Podcast was to bring you the real truth in entrepreneurship. That's the same thing you're going to get. You want to see wins, losses, and reality. Tune in. We're really excited. We've created something that we think is really fun and meaningful. So, you know, uh, and bef- one, and you know what? I got to thank the people of the live stream chat today and making my job easier. So many questions, so much interaction. Thank you. If you want to check out and if you want to basically catch the podcast episodes early, that's a way to do it. You can find us on Facebook. Just go to the search bar and type in "start a puzzle." It's not too hard to find us now. With the founders freestyle, we give our guests an opportunity to sum up the, t- today's topic. Really, anything you want, Chris. How do you want to leave us on this episode? Of Start a
1: puzzle. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to be here again, Matt. And, and your team's been great. And <clears throat> how kudos to you for 500 plus episodes and now shifting the TV. And and so you know, don't want to make it about us, but I think some of the insights that we've gained that may be helpful for other startups or early stage Mm -hmm. businesses and and basically creating a framework or a blueprint to make this easy, uh, meaning how do you start doing a customer sales funnel? And what I would encourage people to do is think of the business math first. You need to get 10 customers today or this month or this year, or you need to get hundred or a thousand and Uh, What is your budget to get those? Is it $5, $10, $20? So that you get a baseline and a benchmark of how much are you willing to invest to get a new customer. And then playing around with sales conversion numbers. So let's just say if an ad, if a click was a buck a click, and I converted 3%, then that would mean my average customer acquisition is $33. So if that's a little bit too high for your business, what would be a good number? Let's just say it's $20. So starting with the business math first, and then understanding who your ideal customer personas are and just use your gut, use your experience, use your expertise. Uh, I'm a big fan of doing things in three. So what? start with the three and you can validate those and you can change them out. And then really understanding what are your value propositions and benefits really as it relates to your customers. So there's 200 companies that'll ship you meat in a box, but why are we different from them? Uh, It could be dry aging, it could be the natural beef, it could be any number of other things. So, But by having that blueprint, it makes doing the marketing execution and even the social media content planning a lot easier so that you're always, okay, did I mention this value proposition or am I getting away from from the value that we offer? Mm And then and then comparing your tactics side by side. So one of the things that we found was doing influencer marketing was great to get exposure, but it's it it, it, it wasn't cost effective. And so we could go back and we can double down on the on the tactics that work and we can uh, trim the fat, no pun intended, on the things that don't work. And, you know, I think no one's got a, a crystal ball. The market's speed of business is changing very, very quickly. So. Uh, I'm a big fan of 30 day tests. So do some testing, figure out what works, what doesn't do another 30 days. And it's just a continual feedback loop. And I would say the great thing is, is about this program and Kansas City and entrepreneurs in general, uh, don't feel, don't be afraid to ask for help. Uh, there's any number of, of, of groups that you can participate participate in, startup accelerators, but um, uh, you know you can ask other people, what was a win for you? What wasn't? And uh, so that may be a good starting point. And then I think I would close with understanding the customer journey. So put yourself in the customer's shoes. So if I go to the website, I'm typically not going to sign up for the newsletter right off the bat, but I may follow you on social media and understanding the steps that it's going to take to get people more involved and ultimately to do convert into a sale.
0: Chris, very well said. Now, Hey, I'm going to just be honest, guys, for those of you listening, this is a dude that runs a farm and sells beef, and he might have just grossly outclassed you when it came to understanding and grasp on digital marketing, sales funnels, e-commerce, and all of that. And I mean that in a loving way, Chris, and I also want to challenge other people to listen to all the stuff he just said, because dude, like you, you didn't leave much for me there, Chris. Now, and and thank you. Like, this was an easy episode for me, man. I had all the listeners asking the questions. I had you on point. You know, there's a couple of takeaways I got from here. You know, one, are you ready? Are you ready for what can or could happen? And that can be good or bad. You know, and Chris, last time you were on, we kind of had that WTF is going to happen. We didn't know, I didn't know at my business, you didn't know at yours. And you know, I immediately got to work making changes, pivoting where I needed to triaging this, doing other things for that, learning a whole lot of stuff. I didn't think I have to learn maybe a, a very focused effort on saying, Hey, relax people, just relax. We'll figure this out. All the answers aren't in hand right now. And, you know, and then the next thing is, is when I say, are you ready? I mean, be careful, cause you might get what you ask for. <laughs> yeah. easy to, it's easy to say, hey, I want my business to go up 600%. And then you got to deal with that. And, you know, cause, cause Chris, you really did a delivery for me last time. And, you know, like all you can do is all you can do. So six times more business means six times more everything. And it also probably means six times more problems. So <laughs> you, you end up dealing with all of that. And, and, and the real question is, is, are you ready? And you're because look, your plan as of right now is wrong. All of our plans are wrong because we can't tell the future. The crystal ball is broken. We have no idea what's coming. But are you ready and willing to deal with it once it does occur? So, Chris, did you have another comment?
1: Um, I just think that, you know, getting in front of the customer and... You know continue to get feedback so for example somebody said they they were confused with our shipping or, or where we could ship to and just always kind of cross-checking and then the other thing is i would say do one thing at a time i've had the opportunity to mention to mentor several dozen different startups through uh through different organizations and where i see people failing is trying to do three things at once in other words if we would to tried to do retail uh, direct to consumer and then food service and then wholesale business the, the house of cards would have collapsed. As a matter of fact, if we would have put a bet on food service, which we were really amping up to do, obviously, restaurants have, have really been hit hard. So focus on the one thing, get it nailed, and then once you've got some scalability there, then you can start expanding. But trying to expand too fast is, is at least for us, you know, perhaps a good way to break our business, and we don't want to do that, obviously.
0: You, you can go out of business and you can grow out of business. So on that note, Chris, I'm going to get back to doing business. I'll see you next time.
1: Thank you, Matt. Enjoyed it.
0: Startup hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.